Hello and welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. And I am happy to be with you today to talk about another interesting topic related to multifamily real estate investing. Today, we're going to discuss five points to evaluate an investment. Many of you are either looking at investments with Mara Poling or a firm like Mara Poling, or potentially looking at making an investment on your own in a property that you will own and operate yourself. So we've got five thoughts that we can share with you today about how you can evaluate that investment. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Okay, number one is the asset. We're going to start there. We like multifamily real estate for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons we like it is its inherent stability, right? Remember when we talked about that uh, matrix where we had the stability or volatility uh, axis, and then we had the return axis? Real estate, multifamily in particular, is over on the stable side, along with bonds, corporate bonds, government bonds, and so on. So we like the inherent stability of multifamily real estate. That doesn't mean that all real estate investments are the same. Some are going to be more stable than others. So what would make it more stable? Well, it's the asset itself. So they're all tangible assets, right? They're all things you can go touch, taste, look at, put my fingers on it. Great. It's a, that's a real building. It's a real thing that I, that I own, whether I own it in um, uh, an LLC with other members, as you would in, an, in a syndication with uh, Mara Poling or someone else, or whether it's uh, an investment that you went out and bought yourself, a, a duplex that you, uh, that you have. Where's that asset located, right? What kind of market is it in? Is it in a market that's uh, growing? Uh, in terms of population and jobs and income and so on? Or is it in a more mature market that's not growing terribly rapidly? Or is it in a market that's actually in decline in those characteristics? Uh, what's the actual sub-market around it like? Um, we invest, as, as I think almost all of you know, uh, in a variety of markets in the country. Uh, a number of them are in Texas, and we have assets that are in, for example, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex or Houston or San Antonio. Well, those are really large markets. You're not actually investing in Dallas-Fort Worth because whatever happens, for example, on the south side of Fort Worth doesn't necessarily have any significant impact on an asset that you're looking at purchasing just outside of Dallas, just north and maybe east of Dallas. So you need to look at the individual submarket to understand how's it performing, what's the employment like there, and so on. So if you're looking to make an investment, and I'm going to use the example of you're investing with us or someone like us, you should be asking questions and looking for feedback on, okay, where is this asset located, and what kind of asset is it? Is it a uh, a class A new development? Is it a uh, class C rehabilitation? Is it a scrape? In other words, it's a older, very underperforming asset and that's going to be scraped and the land is going to be redeveloped in some way. Or is it class B? We like class B because it's the most stable of all of those. So those are the things to be looking at. Look at the asset itself. And by the way, if you're listening today and maybe just beginning this process, and some of this is, well, where would I see that? Or what would that look like? 
So go to our, go over to our website, marapolling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And you can go to the Learning Center. There's some great material there, but you'll also see a place where you can download our fund information kit. Now, this happens to be about the Mara Polling Total Return Fund, but you can download the information kit, and there's lots of good material in there about our investment thesis, about the assets that we currently have in the portfolio, and about the performance of those assets, our uh, pro forma uh, estimates of performance uh, over the next several years. So if you don't have a deal to look at right now to use these tools on, uh, go over and download our information kit. And I would be happy to share with you some of the specifics of any one of our individual deals, any one of our individual assets, so that you can use it as a tool to enhance your uh, analysis uh, capability and your ability to evaluate an investment. All right, so let's get back uh, back to our list. So number one would be uh, stability. And by the way, these aren't in order. It just happens to be the way I'm, I'm going through the list today. So number one would be evaluating the stability, which means taking a look at the asset. The next would be understanding how secure your investment's going to be. And that's really looking at the structure of the deal itself, right? So you could look at two different investment opportunities, both of them with uh, good solid class B value add opportunities in strong submarkets with good employment and job growth and income growth and all those other factors that we were just talking about. You could see two deals that really look like mirror images of each other. And yet because of deal structures, one of them is going to be more secure than the other. So understanding the deal structure. And what we mean by that is what's the uh, tools that were used to put this together. Is it a short? Is it being structured as a short-term hold? The shorter the hold period, the greater the risk in that particular investment. You're potentially going to fall victim to more timing issues inside the market. What might go on in terms of uh, fluctuations in cap rates and uh, the like. Uh, you're also realistically in a position if it is a shorter-term hold less likely potentially to be able to take advantage of some of the tax opportunities. And we're gonna talk about tax in a minute, uh, but generally speaking, a shorter term hold is gonna have less tax advantage than a longer term hold is gonna have. Um, so the term, right, the plan in terms of what's the exit gonna look like from that standpoint, um, how heavy a lift is it? Is, is the deal being structured as a light value add, which is the kind of work that, that we do at Mara Polling, or is it being structured as a rehab project? So you're gonna go through and maybe this asset manager is gonna put $15,000 a unit in because the property really needs it. And they're gonna bring it back to some level of health and vibrance, and then they're gonna turn around and sell it. Those are not bad investments. They're riskier investments, right? So when you're evaluating uh, an, an opportunity, an investment opportunity, understanding how the deal is structured and probably one of the biggest factors is to understand how debt is being used. Is it, uh, it short-term debt uh, at a high loan value that's part of one of these get in and get out strategies that I was just describing? Is it longer-term debt? Is it agency debt? Is it 
70%, 75% LTVs. Uh, our fund, we would love to be at 70% LTV in terms of our fund debt. We just can't seem to get there. Uh, we're in the 60s. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we simply don't overlever the properties to start with. And then we put a lot of cash into them uh, in terms of improvements as opposed to borrowing those dollars for improvements. So, uh, so if you see investments that are 75%, 80% um, levered, and that's the total leverage for that particular entity that you'd be a part of, um, that's gonna have a different risk profile again. So deal structure is something to take a look at. So asset and deal structure. Uh, the next item that we would talk about then is we're gonna move into the return portion, right? And oftentimes this is where everybody starts. Um, some of you may be looking at uh, opportunities and the first thing that you're looking at is, well, what's the return? How much am I gonna make? What's, what kind of cash am I gonna get off of this? What's the total equity growth that I'm gonna get? And so on and so on. So um, those are absolutely important factors. Uh, let's talk about cash first. I have seen many deals where it is very difficult, if not impossible, to tie the cash number that the offer says is going to be generated back to the financials that are offered. And by the way, let me just, uh, quick aside, um, I just said I've seen a number of deals that have this potential issue. I am more than happy to look at any deal that you're looking at. Um, we, we have that conversation with folks every week. People will shoot me an email. They'll send me a copy of a deal they're looking at. We will not give you a recommendation uh, on it. We will use the offering that they have shared with you to help provide some additional education about the kinds of things you might be looking for, like what I'm doing here uh, today. Um, so we're not gonna say this is a good deal or this is a bad deal, but we are gonna go through and help. And one of the things that I have seen with some regularity is there'll be a cash number, but no way to tie it back to the actual financials. So if you've got a deal you're looking at right now, and again, if you wanna look at one of ours, please shoot me an email or come by the website and download the information kit. Or if you've got another deal from some other sponsor, um, feel free to shoot me an email with it and I'd be happy to get on the phone with you and we can discuss how you would apply these five steps, these five elements to the evaluation of that deal. And you can do that by emailing me at pat at marapoling.com. So P-A-T at M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. So on cash, I have seen deals and unfortunately, I'd love to say it's very rare, but unfortunately it's somewhat common where you'll see um, 7%, 8%, 9% cash right out of the gate. And, uh, and that number grows and it ends up being a 10% cash deal over three years. That's great. I'm not gonna dispute that there couldn't be deals that do that. Um, again, there's probably a lot you'd have to do from a structural standpoint in terms of the deal structure to make a deal actually generate that kind of cash. But I'm not commenting on that now, we're just commenting on the cash. The challenge with a lot of those that have been shared with me and that we've looked at is when you look at the pro forma, when you look at the actual forecast of net operating income and debt and so on, the numbers don't tie out. You, it, it's not clear how that cash is actually coming. 
we work very diligently at more polling. We want to make sure that when we're generating cash and making distributions, that those distributions are coming from the operation of the assets, right? So it's coming from the cash flow that the properties themselves generate, or it's coming from the gains that we experience by having an asset, managing it well, selling it, taking some gains, and reinvesting some of that potentially in a new asset and potentially distributing some of those gains to our members, as opposed to distributing capital that's just laying around so that we can hit some cash number. Uh, there's a word for all that. We aren't going to get into that today. Um, but take a look to make sure that you understand where that cash comes from. It should be clear. If it's not clear, it's absolutely a place to ask some questions and potentially a um, a pink flag, maybe not a red flag. It's a yellow flag. There, Maybe that's even better. So maybe it's a yellow flag that gets you thinking about, uh, maybe maybe there's something going on here that I need to understand better. So that's cash. The other side of the return equation is the growth in the value of the investment, right? Uh, we call that equity growth. Uh, a lot of folks maybe don't call that out and they'll simply have a total uh, return number or an IRR that, that they're gonna talk to. So um, equity growth is important in the kinds of investing that we do. It's relatively close to the same amount of uh, return that you're gonna see on the cash side. Maybe it's a little larger, but they're pretty balanced. That's part of what our total return fund is focused on. So that's one of the things that you'd wanna look at when you're looking at equity growth is, is the bulk of the return I'm getting on the equity side. If you're investing in a class A property or in a extremely expensive, i.e. low cap rate market, you're gonna see more of the return focused on the equity side. Uh, class Bs are in a good solid market are gonna be a lot more balanced uh, from that standpoint. The, um, the thing to look for, and I'd love to say this is rare, I see this a lot, is uh, beware of exit cap manipulation. Uh, obviously, when an underwrite is prepared by a sponsor, by an asset manager, like folks like us, um, what comes out of the underwrite, what comes out in terms of the performa is a function of what goes in. I can put whatever numbers in I want, right, and make the underwrite do what I want it to do so the performa that comes out looks all nice and pretty. If you're making your inputs data-based, right, if they're driven by facts, and then if they're on the conservative side of that range that you're gonna experience when you look at all the facts and the data, then you're gonna get an honest performer that comes out. There are underwrites I have seen in the industry where uh, the submarket is a five and a half cap submarket. The asset is being purchased at five and a half, or maybe even a little below five and a half, maybe five and a quarter. And the exit cap, right, the assumption that's in the underwrite is when we sell this asset down the road, two years, three years, five years, whenever it is from now, we're going to sell it for a five cap. That is absolutely possible, right? I'm not saying it couldn't happen. We are in a historically low interest rate environment. And certainly at the trough of the cap rate cycle. 
to forecast that cap rates are going to continue to move down is um, certainly not conservative. That's an aggressive forecast. And it will accidentally color your return, especially if you're in an, in an environment where you've got lower cap rates to start with. As I said, that moves more of the return over to the equity side. The way we underwrite is we'll underwrite in the example that we just did. If it's a five and a half cap market, by the way, if it's a five and a half cap market, we would not buy a deal at five and a quarter. Um, but let's just let's just go with that. Um, we would underwrite an exit probably at six and a quarter or maybe six and a half, at least some amount, maybe a hundred basis points or so of unfavorable cap rate movement. That's reasonable. That keeps us from falling into the trap of convincing ourselves that it's a good deal because of all this equity growth, when in fact that equity growth is simply manipulated by virtue of this exit cap. So when you're looking at returns, you want to make sure that when you whatever the cash number is that you can see where that cash actually came from that it ties back to the financials and that it is actual cash that's being generated either from the operation of the asset or the growth and value of the asset uh, and it's not money that's coming from elsewhere inside this investment and then on the equity side that the equity growth is not a manipulation of the cap rate Number five, right? So we've talked about the asset itself, the deal structure, where the cash comes from, what's going on with exit caps, right? So we've talked about those four things. Number five is the tax structure of the investment. One of the reasons we all like to invest in commercial real estate, commercial multifamily for all of us here today, is all the great tax advantages that we can get. There are things we get to do with our real estate investments that we don't get to do with our investments in stocks or equities or in fixed incomes, bonds, annuities, so on and so on. One of those is we get a K-1 document every year that reflects the taxable income or taxable loss that the property experienced. And that is not just a function of how well the property performed, but it's a function in uh, significant ways to um, the amount of depreciation that we were able to take on the asset. How is this deal managing depreciation? We use cost segregation methodology, which provides an extremely accurate depreciation schedule. It's not accelerated depreciation. Uh, I will have folks on occasion uh, say, tell me about your accelerated depreciation program. We don't accelerate depreciation. We depreciate the assets, the improvements that we have either purchased or that we have put in place, we depreciate them over what is a reasonable expectation of their actual life, not over some flat arbitrary 27 and a half year uh, period. For example, it's my favorite one, mini blinds do not last 27 and a half years. We write them off over five. I wish they last five, last five years. In many instances, they won't. Uh, but they're certainly not a long-term asset. And you might laugh a little bit and say, well, that's kind of silly. Well, if you go through and, and do that kind of analysis, you're going to realize that there's a significant amount of actual depreciation that occurs during the first five years of the hold, as opposed to over that 27 and a half year period. So if you're straight line depreciating, nothing wrong with that, 
just make sure you understand how that's structured because it's going to affect the tax benefits you get. An accurate depreciation schedule generated using a cost segregation methodology is going to generate a greater loss or a smaller taxable income, whichever it might happen to be, during those first five years of your hold. The other is, is the asset um, and the deal, is it being structured in such a way that there's an ability to do a 1031? And if it's an individual syndication that you're going into, uh, it could be structured that way. That is challenging. It has been done. We've we've been a part of uh, investments like that. We've we've worked uh, both coming in and coming out uh, with 1031s uh, on an individual syndication, but it's it's tough. And because it's tough, it's not done that often. So that would be one of the questions to ask when you're evaluating a deal is, is there a 1031 planned or is there a 1031 opportunity here? Otherwise, the returns you have, right? The cash that you're gonna earn and the equity growth that you're gonna have, you're just gonna get a K-1 at the end of three years or four years or five years, it's gonna have the tax bill on it and you'll have to pay the taxes which is no different than what would happen if you invested in some stock and it went up in value and you held it for three years or four years or five years. And that's one of the big advantages that we have in real estate from a tax standpoint relative to bonds or equities is we don't have to pay those taxes. We can sell those assets and reinvest via a 1031 and defer those taxes. And in deferring those taxes, that gives us more cash to play with so we can invest and buy larger assets. And as we buy larger assets, that improves our return. And we're doing all of that with zero cost because we're getting effectively an interest-free loan from the federal government by doing that. Now, we will eventually pay tax unless there's a step up in basis, and that's another conversation we'll, we'll, we have had before and we'll have again someday. Uh, so the tax will get paid. It's just gonna get paid years from now with future dollars, and it will, like any other investment uh, return, it'll be paid and treated as long-term gains at whatever the rates are at that particular point in time. So, so the five points that we would encourage you to look at would be to look at the asset itself, Right? That's part of your evaluation. Might even be the good place to start, but certainly one of the things you want to look at. Look at the deal structure, uh, how long the deal's structured for, what kind of debt, uh, what's the loan to value that's uh, being uh, uh, attained and achieved, what's the target for that. Um, the cash, where is it coming from? Right, Be able to tie that cash back to actual operations of the asset. The equity growth, is the equity growth real? or reasonable, or is the equity growth a product of some aggressive hopefulness in terms of cap rate movement? And the final of, of the five is the tax structure of the investment. How are they managing depreciation? And is there a 1031 opportunity? Now, I've got a bonus one for you, right? So we had five, those are the five, and I've got a bonus one for you. And this is about the waterfall. So the waterfall is the term that's used to describe the manner in which the sponsor, the asset manager, Mara Poling, in an instance where you'd be working with us, how they participate in the value creation from a financial standpoint. Waterfalls should be easy to understand. If you have to get out a slide rule and take off your shoes so you can count on your toes and 
uh, you know, any other silly analogy that I can use, if it's complicated, um, that may that may tell you something about the deal you're looking at. It ought to be simple. Uh, our waterfall, for example, is we think pretty straightforward. There's a preferred return. What that means is when someone becomes a member of our fund, all the money the fund generates goes to those members until such time as that preferred return has been met, that hurdle. Uh, for our fund right now, that's an 8% preferred return for our, for our Class A members. Then the next dollars that come out, they go to all the members until they get all their money back. So the members get their preferred return, the members get all their money back, and then whatever's left, 70% of that goes to the members, 30% of that goes to Mara polling for us to use with our management team and so on to enjoy as our share of the success that we've created. All the way down at the back end. Nice and simple and easily understood. I have seen waterfalls that have tears and clawbacks and catch-ups and, and, and I do this, right? I do this for a living. And there are waterfalls that I read and not just the promotional material, you need to read it in the PPM, that when I read, I can't understand how they work. So if you can't understand it, right? If it's not clear to you, then that may tell you something about the opportunity and whether or not that's a fit for you. But that's absolutely something we would suggest you take a look at. So that's number six, a little bonus one for you there. So I'm happy to help you use these points to walk through and look at something you might be interested in looking at. And as I said, I'm happy to share with you our opportunities and go through the exact same steps with you to show you how you can do that kind of an evaluation. Shoot me an email, Pat, at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Stop by the website. We've got some great material there. You can watch videos and uh, get some other uh, insights from all of that. Uh, download the information kit, right? Again, lots of good material inside there. Uh, please uh, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss any of our uh, future sessions. We've got a lot of great material uh, in the podcast library, so you can go back and take a look. Uh, there's material there about each and every one of these items in a little bit more depth. And make sure you join us next week for the next episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. <music> <laughs>